Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 1045 a.m. and 5 p.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to be. Acts chapter 10. We're continuing uh, through Christianity Takes Courage. And this morning, we're going to be covering quite a few verses. We're going to try and unpack this whole chapter, and I know that that will be uh, impossible to drill down on it. So we're going to fly just above it and notice some uh, things that happen, a movement that happens in the heart of Peter, and a, a transformation that happens in the heart of Cornelius and the people that are with him. In Acts chapter 10, Peter gets confronted. There's a transformation that happens in him that I believe this uh, passage was written to inspire in us, a transformation that he goes through because there was somebody that was eager, even at the door, literally, partway through this passage, begging to respond to Christ, and Peter, without the intervention of God, would not have opened his eyes to that opportunity. And we sometimes can be like Peter. But also, I want you to notice the transformation that happens in this man, Cornelius, There is a response that happens as soon as the Lord goes to him, he just says yes, he responds, and his entire family, all these people that show up, um, find Christ in a spectacular moment. So I want us to draw some principles from that. Take a look at some things that could be hindering us from being able to express the gospel to those that are not like us, but also to investigate our own hearts. Is it possible that there are some things in us Ways that we live, uh, an active participation that we have in our own thinking rather than in God's thinking. We believe that our ways are his ways because we're always right, right? But actually God says, your ways aren't my ways, your thoughts aren't my thoughts. And unless you're constantly coming into a repentive mode, you're responding to me and saying, Lord, I'm not like you. Unless you find yourself like Peter on your knees saying, Lord, how could I be so wrong? you will not be able to reach out to those people who are in greatest need. Now, normally we stand, but because we're going to tackle a lot of this chapter, I I want you to be able to sit and still read this with reverence. Is that okay? I just don't want you in the flipping of pages to uh, fall over. So pay attention as we walk through this. We're going to read this uh, thoughtfully. This is still God's word. Chapter 10, starting with verse 1. And the scripture says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror, and he said, what is it, Lord? He said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called his two, uh, two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now the next day, As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop on the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry. He wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, 
he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descended, being let down on four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing which was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, men who are sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate, and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. While Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Arise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house. And to hear what you have to say. So he invited him to be his guests. The next day he arose and he went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. He called together his relatives and his close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and he fell down at his feet and he worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up and said, stand up because I too am a man. As he talked with them, he went in and he found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate or visit with anyone from any other nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's an important statement, isn't it? So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask you, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, four days ago, at this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard, your alms have been remembered before God. Send, therefore, to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon the Tanner. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. Do you believe that actually happened? It did. Let's pray. Father, we ask you this morning that we would be able to see this passage. How was it that Peter arrived at that place where so many willing hearts were ready to hear the gospel? This was your plan for that day. This is what you had intended for him. But in order to get Cornelius there and in order to get Peter ready, you had to do a great work. Father, I'm convinced that there are many people, not just around the world, but in our own city, who also are hungry for the gospel and perhaps would even be ready today. You've already prepared a group of people. And now you are preparing our hearts to go and hear, to share the gospel to those who would hear. Father, help us. Help us to think right, to be able to be accountable for those areas in our life where we, like Peter, don't think like you. And I pray, Father, that you would continue to send a harvest here in Salem and around the world, wherever we go, that we would see those 
who would run to you if we would only share the good news. We pray that we would see it in Christ's name. Amen. Kent Hughes, when he was writing about this passage, says this, Peter had bound up all of the peoples of the world, except for his own race, into one loathsome bundle. God used a vision to bring a radical change in the attitude of this leading apostle of the early church. And it's a good thing that he did. Otherwise, Christianity would have been reduced to a narrow sect of Judaism, and you and I would never have heard the good news. If it weren't for this moment where the gospel breaks out to the Gentiles, you and I, for the most part in this room, would not have heard the gospel. By that I mean that the majority of you in here are Gentiles, right? You're struggling with whether or not to amen that, right? All right. I wouldn't embrace us either. We're in that category. We are those that are outside of Judaism. And so of the Jews, we would not have heard. And if this was the case, if this was only just a Jewish sect, it would be a religion that we studied rather one that one that was uh, transformational in our lives. This is the moment that it breaks out and the Gentiles are received. And this marks a major transition in even how they would see those that were outside of the faith. Mahatma Gandhi shares in his autobiography that in his student days in England, he was deeply touched by the reading of the Gospels. And he seriously considered becoming a convert to Christianity, which seemed to offer a real solution to the caste system that had divided the people of India, his people. One Sunday, he attended church services and decided to ask the minister for enlightenment on salvation and other doctrines. But when Gandhi entered the sanctuary, the ushers refused to give him a seat. They suggested that he go elsewhere to worship with his own people. He left and never came back. If Christians have caste differences also, he said to himself, well, I might as well remain a Hindu. Edwin Markham says, some draw a circle that shuts men out, race and position or what they flout, but Christ in love seeks them all to win, and he draws a circle that takes them in. There is a difference. Now we're going to look at some, of, uh, some statements. I have two main points in here. We, we've got a bunch of other little points underneath that, but two main points that I want you to wrap your mind around as we walk through chapter 10. And the first is this. God's grace compels us not just to be saved, but be shaped by him. Grace of God calls us not just to be saved, but be shaped. When our attitude, thinking, and actions inhibit the gospel, three things happen. When our attitude, thinking, and actions inhibit the gospel, first of all, God will confront our prejudices. Notice in verses 1 and 2 there of chapter 10, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. This is a, a guy that uh, was everything that it meant to be a Roman of Romans, okay? He's living in a place that actually had been built and dedicated to Caesar. There was a couple of them in Israel at the time, but this is one that was right on the coast. Uh, and, and actually, everything that it meant to be a, a Roman citizen, to have uh, ingenuity, to be able to advance culture, to uh, take on the world was evident at this location. Still to this day, they have parts of a seawall that are, are there that have cement in them that they poured during those days. Cement that they had learned through Roman ingenuity to, to, 
drop into the sea and have it form on the seabed where it would still hold those stones. Incredible act of engineering uh, to be able to create what they created in that location. And it wasn't just that they had building ingenuity. It was a center for culture. It was a center for advancement of uh, their style of worship. If you were a Roman and wanted to find those who thought like a Roman, you would go to this location. And now we run into a man who is a man's man of all of these Romans, and he's the leader of the Italian cohort, which you can't get more Roman than Italy, right? So here you have this guy that is the leader of this top group of tough people in the advanced culture of Rome. It's everything anathema to Peter. Everything that he would have been irritated by. Now, I don't know if there is a list for you of things that you begin to mark off that just irritate you about others. And and maybe we're on the West Coast, all right? And, And so maybe it's not race that irritates you, but it's something else. God will attack our prejudices first so that we will go to those who are hungry to hear the gospel And instead of us trying to correct all the issues that are secondary, we're supposed to take the main issue, the gospel that transforms to those people with willing hearts. Peter would have been unwilling if it weren't for this moment. Chuck Swindoll says, for all our many differences, such as race, creed, culture, gender, and nationality, people all over the world have at least one thing in common, prejudice. It is a stubborn, thorny weed that grows in every heart and draws nourishment from the rotting compost of our fallen, sinful nature. Cut it to the ground, poison its leaves, or pull it out by the roots, and it will be back before you know it. Every single one of us has prejudices. Do you understand that about yourself? ABC News discovered something a short while ago, 2015. They did a report on uh, Wilcox High School in Rochelle, Georgia. They did a report on them because they had a prom. Pretty. They had a prom, but why was this one important? It was 2015, and this was the first prom that was not segregated. How did they get the funding for it? The students actually had to go on Facebook to raise private funds. They set up their own problem that was separate because the school would not endorse it. In the United States, 2015, folks, we're talking about just five years ago that this happened. Some of the people in the community that were surrounding them were still so irritated that they had their own private little segregated prom. Segregation has happened. There are all kinds of ills that happen when it's a separation of race. You may not, that, that may be mind-boggling to you. You may have think, thought, hey, I, I don't have any, uh, you know, racial issues whatsoever. I don't have a, a bigoted bone in my body, but they're where you get irritated. Maybe it's not about race, but how many of you are just going to run out and hug somebody a uh, play, place from where you stand? I actually had somebody after first service ask me, do I really have to hug somebody? It's from a different political persuasion. Yes, do it today. <laughs> Alexander White said this. He said, uh, we have these issues and they're also, we, we gather around people all like ourselves. How we bundle up, he's an old-timey preacher, so listen to this with that thought. He said, 
how we bundle up all whole nations of men and we throw them into that same unclean sheet. The whole churches that we know nothing about, but they're bad names, and we've given them that name. And they're in our sheet of excommunication also. All the other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside our own party in the political state as well. We have no language contemptuous enough wherewith to describe their wicked ways and their self-seeking schemes. They are four-footed beasts. They are creeping things. Indeed, there are very few men alive, and especially those who live near us, who are not sometimes in the sheet of our scorn, unless it's one here and one there in our own family or our own school or our own party. And they even, those, will sometimes come under our scorn and our contempt in the moment that they have a mind of their own and interests of their own and affections and ambitions of their own, we throw everybody in and we give them scorn. We are prejudiced at the core. God calls Peter to account and he tells him actually three different times. What I've made clean, don't call common. It says that in verse 16, this happened three times and the thing was taken at once up to heaven. God confronts our prejudices, but secondly, God confronts our theology. He confronts our theology. Notice uh, what happens here. It says that he was a devout man who feared God with all of his household and gave alms to the poor, prayed continually to God. Peter is struggling with whether or not there is such a thing as a good Gentile. Is it really possible that this guy could love God, that he could seek God, that he was hungry for God? Well, God thought so. He sent an evangelist right straight to his door. Our theology, our understanding that there is no possible way for God to work this way gets in the way of God actually working the way he wanted to work. We will be found on a regular basis saying, God, don't you understand? This isn't how you work. And we're telling him that he can't do what he's desiring to do and how he wants to use you. It may not be that you struggle with whether or not a centurion can come to Christ, but it is probable that uh, you come through this and, and there have been many who struggled with the fact that a dream or a vision happened to draw this man to Christ. short while ago, uh, Carl and I actually had answered a group of questions that came. We put together a uh, uh, list of statements and um, expectations when we start talking about dreams and visions or we talk about the Spirit of God working in the church. But the essence is this, being classic uh, cessationists, um, we, we come from a church in our background where we see certain sign gifts in Scripture and believe that those have ceased. In other words, we believe that there no longer are apostles who go around and heal at will and speak at, in tongues at will uh, in the community. But what we do believe, what is not lumped in there, uh, we do believe that God still does miracles today. Amen? He works. So we can't have such a simple idea as to look at God and say, you no longer do anything. That's actually not in Scripture. We... Uh, and if you're uh, interested in this um, paper that we had put out, you can uh, call to the church office. We just had developed five basic rules to make sure you can test whether or not the experience that you have had measures up with Scripture. Five questions. The first question would be this. Does, 
the experience I just had, lift up Christ alone as the way of salvation. Well, in this moment with the centurion, it did. John 14, 6, Galatians 1, 6, highlight that. Does the experience lift up Scripture as the true way to learn about the Savior? Hebrews 1 and 2 Timothy highlight that that is an important question to ask. Scripture is how we find out about Jesus. Amen? Not experience. Does the experience call you to condone activities or thinking that is contrary to Scripture? 2 Peter 2 and Deuteronomy remind us that cannot be the case. Does the recipient, the person who received that experience, do they claim authority based on that supernatural experience? Colossians 2 warns us against that. And finally, does the experience call people to a faith that is consistent with historical biblical faith? If it does, if your experience lines up with what Scripture says is okay, then you embrace that moment. Amen? We can have the Spirit of God do things in our midst and see in Scripture that he can still move today. In fact, we would be fools to believe that God can't reach in and do a miracle. He's allowed to do that. He's the living God. He can still move. But we ought to make sure that those things are in keeping with what Scripture teaches. Here a centurion has a vision. Peter is taught multiple times. You've got to respond to this. And they come together having been told by God, this is my plan. But before they came together, there was one third piece. God doesn't just confront the prejudices and confront their theology, but he confronts the blind spots. A blind spot is an area of chronic blindness that can cause you to wreck your body, your car, or your life. Anybody have a car with a blind spot? Yeah? Um, if you have a Subaru Outback, you have a car with a blind spot. I'm just telling you that right now. And if you want to just test that theory, check the rear bumper on those cars. All of them come pre-installed with dents, okay? There's some blind spots in certain vehicles. What do you do with the blind spot? Do you just get rid of the car? No, you have to actually find ways to aid the driver so that they can be able to see in those blind spots in order to successfully negotiate their path. On the human eye, there's actually a blind spot, a, a spot there uh, on the retina that actually is about the space or the size of a small eraser. And the rest of those uh, nerve endings, all the, the sensory uh, material that is there that is uh, used to gather in light and make sense of your surroundings. It actually fills in the blanks in that spot that is right there so that you feel like your vision is uninterrupted. But yet it's your body working overtime to make up for a space that actually cannot receive those kinds of images. We have to deal with a blind spot. If you don't deal with a blind spot, you'll wreck. If you don't deal with a blind spot, you'll actually have something that will get jammed into your eye or a harm that will come into your life. Look at what it says in verse 17. He hears three times from God. He should recognize his voice when he's getting chastised, right? It's the voice of Christ that's coming towards him saying, Peter, 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 three times over and over again, just like when they were walking together on the earth. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, okay, Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Here's the answer. He is inwardly perplexed, greatly perplexed. A.T. Robertson retranslates that sentence to say, 
that Peter was completely at a loss as to know which road to take. Hey, I've heard you, God. I've, I've understood these things, but are, are you saying I should change? That's what he's doing. God is actually speaking from heaven, knowing that nobody else is going to get him to change. So he's telling him, you have to change. There was a blind spot in Peter's life. Peter never believes. You go back and test this throughout Peter's life. He never believes that God knows what he's doing. Okay? No, God, Jesus, you, you can't go to Jerusalem and die and be buried and rise again on the third day. Remember that interaction where Jesus literally has to look at him and say, get behind me, Satan? He never knows or never thinks that God knows what he's doing. And secondly, he never thinks he is wrong. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, we have to look at our own lives. Is that the case in ours? When our actions are going to inhibit the gospel, God will confront our prejudices, our theology, and our blind spots. But look at the positive side of this. When we yield to God's shaping, God wants us to yield to his shaping. That's the second big idea here. And when we do that, he is glorified, and the result is amazing. When we yield to God's shaping, he widens our worldview. Verse 34, it says this. So Peter, after they're all sitting there in hushed awe, ready to hear the gospel from him. It says, so Peter opening, or opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that the Lord shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Boy, we ought to underline those sentences. Do you believe that? In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him? Anywhere you go, any culture that you go into, they don't have to look like us, sound like us, think like us, progress like us. Every single place that we go, if you fear the Lord and do what is right, you're acceptable. That's an amazing statement. There was an article a short while ago that came out in the New York Times. Jenna Wortham was sitting around with a group of people who had actually just witnessed the election that had happened recently. And her, with a bunch of other elite uh, thinkers, were sitting together, and they were completely shocked because they did not think it was actually possible that the election turned out the way that it did. And what they said is, it wasn't just that we didn't think that we were wrong, or we didn't think that we could be wrong. They said we literally could not wrap our minds around that people thought the way that they did. We thought they were thinking just as we thought. And it was so concrete. They were so completely taken aback that she said we actually authored uh, a study and asked a central question. Is social media disconnecting us from the big picture? And what they discovered was this, that within social media, you can actually ignore those who do not think like you and highlight those who do think like you and get suggestions where you can add to your feeds more people who think like you until the only voices that you hear in your life, instead of us being a, a big metropolitan type community or a global thinking one where we have more people that are more interconnected than ever before. Instead, instead of realizing that people around us don't think the way that we think and don't uh, see things the way that we see them, instead of realizing those things, they said we actually ignored all of the evidence to that and thought that everyone around us thinks just like us because our social media had been just fanning the flames of our own personal beliefs. 
What does God do here? He pulls Peter out of his small-minded thinking, out of his small worldview, and he says, Peter, look at this picture. Look at what I am doing. I'm about to reach the world with people like this. Did you ever think a centurion, that group of people who nailed Christ to the cross, do you ever think a centurion, a Roman, somebody from the Italian cohort, somebody from Caesarea, that they would be hungry to hear the gospel? He's blowing paradigm after paradigm out of the water. Peter, this is what I've called you to do. Advance the gospel to whoever will hear. He widens his worldview. These people have value, and I'm not asking you to affirm that. I'm telling you it's the truth. That's an amazing thing. When we yield to God's shaping, he widens our worldview. But secondly, he advances the gospel. Listen to what Peter says. And I want you to hear in here that this is the same gospel that we preach to people today. He says, for the word that he sent out to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, for he is Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with his power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all of the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. In him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And all God's people said, Amen. that's the gospel. He just unpacks for him in a few short verses, this is the Jesus that you needed to hear about. If you put your faith in him, his death, burial, and resurrection, you're going to be forgiven. How shocking is that? It's the central idea. Any miraculous moment will lead to this discovery. It will lift up Jesus Christ as the only way. It will proclaim Jesus Christ. All of the eyes will be on Jesus Christ. It all comes down to this. He advanced the gospel. But third, when we yield to God's shaping, he increases our understanding. Verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. When it says here that uh, he increases our understanding, Peter is amazed, the people around him are amazed because they had heard of this vision, they had heard what God wanted to do, they had knowledge that God had given them. Is there any circumstance where you had knowledge but you had yet to experience how that knowledge gets applied? That old picture of learning to water ski from a book, right? You try to read about it. You can have the understanding about what's going to happen when the line gets pulled tight or what you're supposed to shout in order to get pulled up out of the water. But until you're actually in the water and you feel the experience of it, meeting what you had learned, you don't have experiential knowledge. Epigonosco. This is the moment where everything Peter had just been told, even though God had been directing him, came true right in that moment. And his experience matched truth. 
This is what God wants for all of us. Do you know that? Every single person in here has been tasked to live a life that is full of the knowledge of God, and he wants you to be able to experience what it means to walk with him. Not just to have experiences, not just to be uh, overwhelmed by a bunch of emotions, but to actually have the truth guide those emotions and your experience. It's not that we should live through all of our experiences, that we should just focus on having emotions, but do you know that if you are following the truth that it's going to be a great experience? Do you know that? Let me ask you this. What is holding back your life from experiencing all that God wants you to experience while you're here on this side of heaven? Is it possible that the Spirit of God has been pressing into your heart certain truths And he says, hey, I want you to wrap your mind around this truth in Scripture, this attitude you're supposed to have in your home, this correction that you need to make in your business, this personality change that you need to have. You undergo this because of me, and you know it in your head that that is what you're supposed to be about, but you're not having that experience. You haven't yielded to God in that area, and he desires for you to have the experience of walking in joy because... Your knowledge is matching fruit. That's what his desire is. Peter sees in this moment and all of the people with him this amazed joy that that theology and truth just poured out in the living room of the centurion. Everybody is filled. And they began to understand this is what he means by he's going to save them. It's exactly what we have experienced, they said. And finally, when we yield to God's shaping, he fills us with joy. 46 and following, they were hearing them speak in tongues, extol God. And Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? This is no different. This is God at work. He's rejoicing. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked him to remain some days. Now, it was common for Peter to take his wife. I wonder how that discussion went. Hey, honey, do you want a vacation with the Gentiles? What a transformation has happened. Peter stays with those folks. He is filled with joy. He is amazed at what has happened. And uh, his experience is filled up. Just because he was acting the way that God had told him to act. There's a man, Safarit Khan, lives in Houston, Texas. He became famous a short while ago. He made the uh, evening news because um, he was actually living in his lawn. For six months, he'd been in his lawn uh, because his wife had changed the locks on the door. He lived in a mansion in a really nice area, over a million dollar mansion in this super nice neighborhood. But he had taken up residence on the lawn and he said, I'm not leaving. And he became frail looking, destitute almost. He's sitting out there on the lawn Um, And there was actually a sign that was uh, on the front door of the house that said, please don't feed the husband. (laughs) Don't put food over. People were throwing food over the edge to feed this guy who was just laying in the lawn. He didn't have a tent. He didn't have anything to be able to shelter him. He just laid there out in the front lawn waiting for somebody to invite him in. His kids said we're actually embarrassed for dad because he was not acting the way he was supposed to act. In fact, what they discovered was multiple times he had actually been abusive towards his wife to the point where the police had to be called and his wife had been beaten by him a few times and she said I've had enough of it 
moving out. He's laying there out in the street and his kids say the reason the dad is out in the yard is because he refuses to act the way he's supposed to act. Now, If I just capture that thought and piggyback on it. Is it possible that a refusal to be what God called us to be is like sleeping in the lawn of your own mansion? God has all of this that he desires for you to be welcomed into, but refusing to be what God has asked you to be is like sleeping in the lawn of your own mansion. He has all this world of experience for you, but we refuse to enter in because of a hard heart. Peter breaks after three times, and all of the men that were with him break And they say, how can this be? And there is great rejoicing because God is at work and everybody is filled up. Acts chapter 10 invites us not just to look at our own situation or the people near us that look like us, but to go out to those who are not like us and to advance the gospel and to do that with willing hearts, seeing the world the way that God sees them. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, we ask you that you would help us to apply these things, to be able to see in Scripture this call, to see things the way that you see them, to respond to you. Father, this idea that uh, you could drop a picture down from heaven and point out to us all of the areas where we thought that we were correct, but you change, you impact our theology, you press in against our prejudices, you open us up to those blind spots to show us, I want you to do this for my name's sake. Father, I'm convinced that every single one of us can submit in an area like that. You write these stories so that we will be convicted, and I pray, Father, that we would be, that we would see Salem impacted by folks who run out and are eager to share the gospel with those that are not like them, or a neighbor who does not think like them, or, Father, people who we have refused to serve because of our own prejudices. We pray that you would help us to live out these truths, gospel principles, in a way that not only shapes us but reaches the world. We ask you to help us in Christ's name. Amen.